first time I interviewed Neymar, he was 14. He was pretty much famous approaching household name status before he'd even played for the Santos first team. Barca should have been better prepared. They really did not have a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. You have the French president, Emmanuel Macron, calling it really good news on the day. Without selling Coutinho for that amount of money, Liverpool's recent history would be very, very different. But then again, Neymar changed the whole dynamic. Neymar's move to Paris Saint-Germain in the summer of 2017 would have been the most remarkable transfer in football history on its own. At a price of 222 million euros, it more than doubled the previous world transfer record. Never before had the record gone up by such a margin. By way of comparison, when Real Madrid went on their lavish spending spree in 2009, breaking the world transfer record twice on Cristiano Ronaldo and Kaká, and also signing Karim Benzema and Xavi Alonso, those four put together only cost a little more than Neymar did on his own. But the really extraordinary part, what truly makes it the transfer that changed the game, is the impact it had on the wider football world. It raised the profile of a whole league helped send one of the most successful and storied clubs in the world into a tailspin and allowed another to break a 30-year title duck. I'm Adam Leventhal and this is part three of Beyond the Headline, Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. In the previous two episodes, we heard about the early years of Neymar's career and how the transfer that nobody thought possible was made possible. In the third and final part of this series, we'll examine the ripple effects of Neymar's move from Barcelona to PSG, how it took French football to another level, how it took PSG to the top of the European game how it exposed and accelerated the decay and hubris of Barcelona, which culminated in Lionel Messi trying to force his way out of the club, and how it ultimately led to Liverpool being able to buy the spine of the team that won the Champions League and their first English title in 30 years. Barcelona, gracias por Paris, the saga really started when, when Liverpool were on their, their pre-season tour in um, in Hong Kong. That was when uh, when Liverpool first got wind of the the, uh, the initial offer. James Pearce, Liverpool writer for The Athletic. That, um, that had come in from Barcelona, I think, with the add-ons, I think it was around £70 million. And um, clearly, Coutinho's head had, had been turned by that point. He, he made it very clear to Klopp. From the start, that he he wanted to to get away and to pursue this, you know, what he saw as a as a dream move to to Catalonia, and then it, um, yeah, it just rumbled on through the summer. The world was just about digesting the news that Neymar was on his way from Barcelona to PSG for a world record 222 million euro fee, when another saga spluttered into life. Philippe Coutinho had been a regular in transfer gossip columns for a couple of years, with Barcelona almost always mentioned as a possible destination. But now that Neymar was gone and they had more money than they knew what to do with burning a hole in their pocket, Barcelona had to get a replacement. They had to sign someone, anyone. In short, they were panicking. Liverpool's uh, well, FSG president Mike Gordon made it absolutely crystal clear to Coutinho that 
you will not be going anywhere that this you know regardless of what the next bid is from Barcelona we will not sell you in this window and um, you know of course then that that kind of really kicked things off with Coutinho putting in the transfer request on the eve of the new Premier League season and you know a, a mystery back injury that that kept him out until the window had finally shut. Barcelona essentially dashed around the continent with a huge sack of cash in their hands knocked back by many including Liverpool. Eventually, they found someone willing to take it. They paid north of 100 million euros for Ousmane Dembele, the French forward that Borussia Dortmund had bought for just 15 million euros a year earlier. People were writing and and saying at the time that Barca should have been better prepared, that they they really did not have a a contingency plan for if Neymar were to leave. Dermot Corrigan, Spanish football writer for The Athletic. Or, you know, if, if one of their other big names were to leave that summer and they were they were kind of frantically flailing around to, to see who would take the money and, you know, thinking about Griezmann and Paolo Dybala at another reality, you know, Bar- Barcelona might have realised, OK, Neymar's going to go, we're going to keep this a little bit more quiet and we're going to already start negotiating with Dortmund or, or with whoever it is to, to try to bring in more players with Liverpool over, over Coutinho, identify targets and go and get them before Neymar even leaves or have the deals in place before Neymar leaves. But it, it didn't work out like that at all. It was it was early August. They had um, still the, the three or four weeks of the transfer window to to deal with, but they really were in a, an impossible or a really difficult position to, to negotiate and hadn't even identified who would be the the best players to bring in. Even the targets that they went for were all quite uh, quite different types of players or, or, you know, it wasn't a feeling that we already know, you know, who would be the next best if Neymar were to leave. They had 220 million euros in those hands and they didn't know how to spend it. Marcelo Beckler, Barcelona-based correspondent for Esporte Interativo and the man that first broke the story of Neymar's transfer. There was a lot of pressure to sing another player or some players, but everyone knew that Barcelona had those, uh, that money. So Dembélé would not cost 140 million euros, never. But Barcelona knew how much Barcelona needed him and how much Barcelona uh, had to sing him. So Barcelona started singing players that he might not need it, spending a lot of money and increasing a lot of uh, the salary without giving to the team what the team needed. By January, Barcelona still hadn't convincingly replaced Neymar. So back to Liverpool, they went. You know, I think, I think that summer it was it was 70-odd million. Then I think they, they upped it to around 90 million. But a big chunk of that was in performance-related add-ons that Liverpool just didn't feel were, were realistic and, and didn't particularly take those offers that seriously. I think... Once we got to like the back end of November into December and the January window wasn't far away, you know, suddenly you had this deal of, you know, I think with add-ons £142 million that was just eye-watering for when you think that Liverpool had paid £8.5 million to to sign him from Inter Milan five years before. Barcelona had now essentially spent the Neymar windfall, handing over half of it to Liverpool. But unlike their Catalan cousins, Liverpool had a plan. They knew exactly how they were going to spend their money. Klopp knew full well that the the money from that extortionate fee he would have in its entirety to invest in the squad and invest in two positions that Liverpool desperately needed strengthening. At that stage, Liverpool were a thrilling, freewheeling and very entertaining side, but one that were just as likely to concede a stupid goal as score a brilliant one. 
They needed a reliable defence, a top goalkeeper and centre-back to knit their wobbly backline together. But to reach the top of English and European football, they would need to bring in the best available in each of those positions. Virgil van Dijk was the man that they wanted in central defence, who they had already tried to sign while the Neymar and Coutinho madness was progressing that summer. There's absolutely no question that, that Liverpool knew that Coutinho was on his way when when they brought in Van Dijk. But I, th I still think, you know, I, I, you go back to the previous summer when, when Liverpool dug their heels in over Coutinho, they would still have signed Van Dijk that summer if, if they could have done. It was... I think they would still have found the money for Van Dijk. I think, I, I don't, you know, I think probably the, the bigger talking point was whether they would have then had the money to go and sign Alisson the, the, the following summer. And the short answer to that question is almost certainly not. Liverpool were pretty, they were pretty adamant, certainly from, you know, because of course by, by kind of that February, they, they had the rest of that Coutinho money sitting in the bank, that they were, they were very adamant that, you know, Alisson was the one they wanted and they weren't prepared to, to lessen their sights. I think Klopp's made, you know, no secret about the fact that he said, you know, Philip Coutinho's name Kate, comes up. And, you know, of course, it was a hot topic when Liverpool ended up facing him in the, the latter stages of the Champions League en route to, to winning the competition in 2019. That, that he said, you know, we, we were always, you know, we were sad to lose Coutinho, he said, but selling one world-class player enabled us to buy two world-class players in in Van Dijk and, and Alisson, because, you know, that's that's the simple economics of it all. When you look at the money Liverpool got for Coutinho, that effectively covered, covered those absolute two transformative deals. You can throw in Fabinho too, also signed in the summer of 2018 when Alisson joined, adding a spine to the brain and heart of the Liverpool side that had been promising in the first few years of Klopp's reign. By waiting and squeezing the last drops out of Barcelona's desperation, Liverpool had been able to afford the substantial parts of the team that would go on to be English, European and world champions. Would they have been able to do any of that? win any of those trophies without the Coutinho money? No, I don't think so. No, no, I think, um, you know, if it, I think Liverpool selling Coutinho for, for that amount of money is is hugely influential in, in the fact that they went on to win the Champions League and then followed up by winning the club's first league title for 30 years because I think, you know, as we said before, maybe, you know, I think, there's a good chance they probably would maybe would still have got Van Dijk. They would have found it, found that money somehow. But that there's no way that they then go and spend that amount of money on a goalkeeper. But for the Coutinho money. While in the last few years Liverpool have thrived, Barcelona have been slowly rotting. In the two seasons after Neymar's departure, they won two La Liga titles, but in some respects those two championships covered the problems that would become visible at times in the Champions League, most notably in the collapses against Roma in 2018 and Liverpool in 2019. I don't think it was an event that when it happened, people were looking at it and thinking, this is this is definitely this definitely means disaster for Barcelona. Adam Crafton, football writer for the Athletic. I think at the time you're thinking it's a hell of a lot of money. If you spend it the right way, you could probably come out of this a bit stronger. Um, you can deal with a few of the financial issues you've got at the club. You can go and get a few of the players that you want to get in. But they didn't do that. 
Coutinho was misused and sent out on loan to Bayern Munich and would eventually be part of the team that humiliated Barca 8-2 in the 2020 Champions League quarter-final. Usman Dembele showed moments of promise but was too injury-prone and millions more have been spent on other players who haven't worked out. Lionel Messi, arguably the greatest player of his generation and almost certainly Barcelona's greatest ever, has essentially spent the last couple of seasons surrounded by mediocrity. I'm not sure if quite at the time, but Messi more realised after he'd gone that the Neymar's departure coincided or whether it coincided or was a, a big reason for the team's general level, especially in Europe, dropping off. That you could argue that you know, if they'd sold Neymar and they'd signed a really good centre midfielder or another really good centre half, that the team might have continued on because they had Suarez and Messi still up front. But in Messi's head, it seems to me that it was like a, a turning point where instead of signing the best players that, that Barca possibly could, they were now letting their best players go. And that really annoyed Messi. or It, it left him with the feeling that he was being asked to do even more with, within the team, that the directors didn't know what they were doing, that it wasn't fair. All of which, of course, culminated in Messi's attempts to leave Barcelona in the summer of 2020, the fallout of which cost President Josep Maria Bartomeu his job. Messi's psychology is another, you know, really interesting. He's a bit of a, a black box as well, but there's a feeling that, from, from talking to those around him, that he, he felt that all the responsibility to do things was being put on his shoulders. Others weren't, weren't up to their jobs. And then he started, the obvious thing to do was, OK, when Neymar was here, things were going better. I'd like him to come back. And they did try to bring him back. On a couple of occasions, Neymar certainly wanted to return, initially not long after he moved to Paris. Marcelo Beckler. I remember that in October, uh, he had a, a match with uh, the Brazilian national team and there was a press conference and he left it crying because he was very upset in, in Paris he went to Barcelona one week before and went to, to the dress room. They, he was with the players and he, he realized how he missed it here in uh, Barcelona and it was totally different in Paris because what he was figuring that is, it was going to happen that I'm going to a dress room uh, surrounding of Brazilians, Thiago Silva, Daniel Alves, Marquinhos, Lucas, Thiago Mota. So it's going to be easy for me. I'm going to be the star of the, the company. So everyone will pass me the ball. I will be their Messi. I will be their, their, their Ronaldo. And it didn't happen at Paris Saint-Germain. And he tried again a couple of years later. He pushed really hard in that summer 2019 to go back. Julien Laurent, French football expert for ESPN and the Totally Football Show. After two years and those big injuries, he thought, you know what? I, I want to go back. Messi wanted him back. Suarez wanted him back. I think he missed the city, he missed the, he missed the club. There was also the realisation that maybe he had more chances to, to win the Champions League with Barcelona had he gone back, maybe to, than PSG. Although what happened next showed the opposite, but still. So I think there was certainly a willingness from him to go back. The problem was that one, Barcelona never had the money to sign him anyway. And, you know, we, we were talking two years after he left for 222 million euros, easily between 150, 270 million euros. PSG, I think, would have started at 200 million, but would have, would have been okay with 170, 180 maybe. But Barcelona never had that money. So PSG very early on said, like, what, what are we doing here? This is not, you know, we're not selling carpets or rugs. This is, we're talking about one of the best players in the world. And you can't even, you can't even come up with a, with a decent offer, with a realistic offer. They were trying to say, what if we give you maybe 
Rakitic and another player and another player and another player and a few coins. Come on, this is not... So PSG, we never, never really thought Barcelona was serious about bringing him back. He certainly wanted to go back. He was ready to take a pay cut from the wages in Paris to go back to Barcelona. Unless really the offer was great and really he really wanted to go, the Qatari owners were like, you know, you don't decide when you go. We, we decide when you go and when we sell you, not the other way around. And I think very early on, we had a feeling that that's, that was not going to happen. PSG were obviously not going to let Neymar go that easily, for despite the occasional stories of discontent, the injuries and sense that he wasn't taking Ligue 1 seriously, Neymar has been a roaring success in Paris by some metrics. Social media following, for one. At the time of his move to PSG, Neymar had more followers than Donald Trump. And while you may think that that's inconsequential, they don't. These things do matter to football clubs. Adam Crafton. They do matter when they make their pitches to um, marketing companies and for sponsorship agreements. When you're making that pitch and saying, we can take your brand to this many people, we can, we can zone in on this group of people based on this set of data. Uh, and it, it absolutely matters. And I, I think we also have to remember as well that there's a, there is this, this has become a bit of a cliche, but there is, according to social media metrics at least, a generation of young people now who support players rather than clubs. To a, to a broad extent, or certainly follow players rather than clubs. So if you're you're following Neymar, you are supporting Neymar, and and that that cuts across all these different mechanisms. Neymar is always going to be someone that the major video games and uh, computer games they want him on the front. That means he's in a PSG shirt. What's the, what's the reach that we get out of that? All these different things feed into the financial impact. So I think when on the day, a lot of people thought that Nasser was being quite tongue-in-cheek when, when he made that valuation. But actually, the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. And, and it's not only that, but you know, getting Neymar, who else can you get because you've got Neymar at the club? I think that's the other aspect of it as well. I mean, I think Mbappe came the same summer. You know, would Mbappe have come if Neymar wasn't coming? Would Neymar have come if Mbappe wasn't coming? So it creates this sort of land of opportunity separate to just the Neymar transfer. Something that is often overlooked about Neymar's arrival in Paris is how it impacted French football as a whole. You might think that the rest of Ligue 1 would be unhappy at the idea of one super-rich club dominating the French game, winning the title every year and leaving everyone else to feast on scraps. But if you talk to many of the people involved, they actually welcomed the arrival of the Qatar sports investment and the money that they have brought because money often equals attention, and attention is then spread around the rest of the league. PSG's status right now is has pros and cons, of course, like every big club. Julien Laurent. They are very, very good and they dominate. And apart from a, a hugely talented Monaco generation, they, they, they don't lose titles, they, they win them all. So that's obviously frustrating if you're a fan of another club, if you are another club. However... Like you've just said, like, you know, Jean-Michel Olas would say, even if he doesn't like saying it, like President Rivière, as you said, Nice or others would say, if today the, 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 the TV right, the money from the TV rights in France is over a billion, it's because Neymar is at PSG. If your attendances in Ligue 1 are improving every, every season, 
well, not 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 after the pandemic, but you see what I mean. It's because Neymar is there, and because Ibra was there before, because PSG can afford those players. And when you go away in any stadium in the country, it's a sellout a month before. People queue, pe- people beg to have tickets to go and watch them because it's Neymar and and Mbappe and all the others. That, that's why. And I think that publicity all around the world is great for Nice, is great for Lyon, is great for Marseille, is great for. PSG, of course, and but, but all the others. And I think Neymar's arrival, of course, took Ligue 1 to another level. It was always going to be because suddenly, even more than Ibra, again, you know, people were talking about Ligue 1 in China, in New Zealand, in Brazil, in Canada, in everywhere in the world. It was, wow, Neymar has gone to Ligue 1. This is Ligue 1 now has Neymar, one of the top three, top five, whatever best player in the world, the most bankable player, the most followed players on social media with Cristiano, the most, you know, the most bling bling, the most skillful, the most talented, the most anything you want. Suddenly Ligue 1 was, he's, they've got the most something in their ranks. And I think sometimes, even if you're, especially if you're not a PSG fan, but sometimes we forget how big the impact for Ligue 1 this was. So you could argue that Neymar is already a success at PSG, but ultimately, he will only be viewed as a success by the outside world if they win the Champions League. That's what they bought him for. They didn't buy him to win Ligue 1 or even the domestic treble. They did that without him. They will do that after him. They did that before him without him. They will do that after him without him as well. So uh, they bought him because they really believed he could win them the Champions League or at least get them close to winning the Champions League. Uh, and that they would make progress with him as a club, as a team, that their brands and their name will, will be bigger all around the world. PSG have this, this dream of winning the Champions League. Marcelo Beckler. And we are seeing that they will pay wherever it costs to, to win the Champions League. So if one day uh, they, they can win it, we can say that it was a success. Because Paris Saint-Germain, it's now in the media every day. We can see Paris Saint-Germain shirts in Asia, Africa, South America, States. So the, the marketing is developing, but they also need something to, to, to remember them. And I think that, that if they don't, doesn't win the Champions League, what we will remember in 10 years that they sell uh, shirts in Japan or in China or in Brazil, no, we, we will remember that they paid uh, 200 million for Neymar, 200 million for Mbappé. They made a, they made a very good team. They didn't want. Or, or we, we will not remember them. We will remember Bayern Munich. We will remember Liverpool. We will remember Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Paris Saint Germain. We will be like the Tottenham on the, the last season was the, the final also, and we will not be remembered. Doesn't matter how much French titles they can they can win and cup uh, the, the, the French Cup and everything in, in French. If they don't win the Champions League, it to be a it will not be associated. Neymar's decision to leave Barcelona for a fresh challenge and to keep the spotlight for himself is the most high-profile version of the butterfly effect in football. If he had stayed where he was, the game today would look very different. Has there ever been a transfer with such a wide-ranging impact? Adam Crafton. No, there isn't. I know that's a rubbish answer. But I don't think there is. I mean, in terms of animosity and you know, European impact, probably the Figo transfer was a huge deal at the time, but I don't think that had the same ripple effect. So I can't really think of, of an equivalent 
that's had such an impact on how European football's played out in the subsequent two or three years. Uh, and obviously, for I think that neither Barcelona nor PSG, from a football point of view, although they probably both considered it fantastic deals at the time, have come out of it fantastically well. The question that lingers is, will this record ever be broken? Will anyone ever be persuaded to pay more than 200 million euros for a single player again? I, I genuinely don't think it will be broken. Since we sort of started discussing this, I was thinking about about whether this you know this record would ever be broken, and I, I actually can't foresee a situation with with stricter financial fair play regulations that have now come in. I, I can't see. I certainly can't see it being broken within the next decade. I think even if you know Mbappe was to go from PSG to Real Madrid or uh, PSG to Manchester United or Manchester City, I, I don't think it would reach those figures. And there you're talking about someone who's won the World Cup for France, who's clearly, you know, potentially a Ballon d'Or winner. I, I don't think it would reach those figures. I certainly don't see that that you know so many individuals as well currently emerging which who are being spoken about in the way that Neymar was spoken about at that time and how Messi was spoken about those almost like godlike figures that, that came into the game around you know 10 10 15 years ago I, I think there's a, there is a, a bit of a switch so that's just my personal view is I, I can't see that sort of 200 million pound barrier being being broken anytime soon I'd certainly expect several ones beyond 100 million, but 200 million, I can't see it. This is part three of a three-part series of Beyond the Headline on Neymar, the transfer that changed the world. Parts 1 and 2 are available to download now and to listen to ad-free on The Athletic. Subscribe to make sure that you don't miss out on future editions of the podcast or follow Beyond the Headline on The Athletic. Beyond the Headline was produced by Abby Patterson for The Athletic. It was written by Nick Miller. The executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. <laughs>